Espírito Santo. Um, it's a very interesting producing uh, region in Brazil. It's very small and it produces a lot of amazing coffee. It's very distinguished from the main coffee producer in Brazil, which is Minas Gerais. Minas Gerais is the biggest coffee producer area in the world. Uh, just to give an idea of numbers, 95% of the coffee exported from Brazil uh, is Minas Gerais. So we decided to do something different. Then we went to Espírito Santo. Hello and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. This conversation is with the man behind a business that is bringing the so-called fourth wave of coffee to the UK, one espresso at a time. Washington Vieira is the founder of Santu Coffee, which is an independent roastery and coffee bar based in Edinburgh. Born in Brazil, Washington has been immersed in all things coffee his whole life and is incredibly passionate about highlighting the outstanding producers and farmers from his home country that are really responsible for creating that delicious caffeine hit that is a daily ritual for so many of us. What makes Santu different is this commitment to putting provenance front and center. And so in this conversation, we talk about the inner workings of the global coffee industry, which it turns out is pretty complicated with the actual producers rarely receiving their dues and recognition for the value they create. Washington and I also talk through his fascinating life story from growing up on his grandparents' coffee farm in Brazil to his time in Boston and New York, learning how the roasting and retail side of the industry worked and how he and his wife, Erin, moved back to the beautiful Brazilian state of Espírito Santo, where Santu's coffee is sourced from. I had the pleasure of recording this one at Washington's Roastery up in Edinburgh, uh, which is actually based in a converted early 20th century wash house in the city's new town. It was a stunning place to sit and chat, and naturally the coffee was off the charts good as well. So tune in uh, to this one if you want to find out more about where coffee comes from and who makes it from someone who is working super hard to make the industry more transparent. So this is Washington Vieira on changing the coffee industry one cup at a time. Uh, well, welcome to the podcast, uh, Washington, and uh, thanks so much for hosting us in this fantastic space as well. Obviously, this will be going out um, as audio only, but we're in the roastery, which you guys have been in for about six months. Is that right? Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us, Richie, and uh, it's a pleasure to share some of uh, what Suns is like to you guys. Um, yeah, we've been here for six months, and we, we've been very fortunate to find this space in the middle of town and uh it's it's been uh it's been quite good six months actually we're very happy to be here yeah yeah and congratulations as well of course on uh, becoming a father recently oh, as well so thank you how's how's that been in terms of balancing between running a business and obviously you know having the having the, the little one at home and and how have you kind of managed that balancing it, act it's been great because uh, we, we have a very good team and the team just took over the, the whole logistical and the whole operational side of things. Um, so I was able to take uh, pretty much like two, time, uh, two months off perfect. just to uh, take care of the newborn. Perfect, perfect. I'm very, very happy with the little one. Yeah, great, great. And Erin, of course, as well. Your, your oh, she's partner, great. She's, she's, great. she's doing good oh, as she's, well. She's, we're over the moon. Brilliant, brilliant. That's the best way to put it. Brilliant. So in terms of like the history of, of this building then, uh, Washington, so I know it's gone through quite a few iterations. So it was first um, opened in like the 1930s? Is that That's correct. Um, the building was um, 
was constructed in the 1930s and uh, it ran as uh, one of the one of 12 uh, washrooms here in the city for 40 years. Um, that's when uh, the Edmund Printmakers took over in the 1970s and they were here in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. So in, in terms of when it was the washroom then, I know you mentioned something about how it was related to kind of a government initiative around hygiene. So just tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, at the time was to fight uh, the TB um, um, disease that was taking over the UK. And the wash house was an idea to make sure people were washing uh, proper um, their, their yeah. Their, all their belongings. Yeah, of course. And then how is that, how is it kind of translated to be in the roastery then? So, you know, tell me about when you guys first looked at the space and was it a case of as soon as you got here, you realised that this was going to be the place that you were going to make the coffee? That's correct. Once we walked in, like, it's funny, once you pass by in front of the building, you don't realise that a place that looks like an ordinary building, like an ordinary house, like a Georgian, beautiful place, beautiful building from the outside. And you, you open, you open the door and it looks like a, a Victorian swimming pool without swimming pool. Because yeah. it, it, it's so vast in terms of size, the, the beautiful high ceilings, like, and the skylight's sky just stunning because there's so much space and so much vibrance and the, the tiles itself on the wall bring so much light to the building. So when we first got in the building, it was like, how is a place like this in the middle of town not being used? Yeah. Um, and it, it, is, um, it is really hard to find a good size industrial spaces in the city very often you have to um, you have to rely on being a suburban area or much further uh, from the town itself. So it was a little bit of a hidden gem. This place. Very much, very much, and and sometimes I pass over um, some buildings. Like I wonder what's behind the door. Is it more buildings like the the wash house itself? Yeah, well, of course we're in Edinburgh, and it's very much that type of city, isn't it? Where you know you have these fantastic um, sort of ancient looking facades outside of these buildings, but then in there is, is often something different to what you might think. And uh, the, the, the city also has a fantastic coffee scene, which is, which is obviously why you guys are, are based here. So yeah, I guess what's been your impression of the kind of coffee scene in Edinburgh? And I know you talk quite a lot about the kind of fourth wave of, of coffee. And do you think that, that that kind of fourth wave is taken over Edinburgh as well? It's been changing a lot. The, the city is very welcoming to independent business. And the, the specialty coffee uh, industry relies a lot on customers that are open to changes. And um, smaller companies like us, for instance, will have more of an easy way in, in that kind of environment. And people tend to react really well to, to changes. People tend to react really well to new things. And uh, the fourth wave or the third wave of coffee, if you want to go a little back, yeah, it really it really welcomes and really propels that kind of that kind of initiative. Yeah, yeah. And let's go right back then, I guess, to the beginning. So obviously now you're here, you're running Santu in, in Edinburgh, you've got the roastery. Um, but your kind of relationship with coffee goes right back to when you were a child in Brazil, right? So maybe just tell me a little bit about that story where you grew up and, and, and how things were over in Brazil. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so I was born and raised on a coffee farm, my grandparents' coffee farm. Um, they, they 
did coffee for like 40 years, in a commodity level coffee. And um, if I'm not mistaken, my mom might, might correct me on that. I've, I had my first cup of coffee when I was two years old. Okay. And definitely was a lot of milk in it, but um, that's pretty much when I started getting caffeinated. And I have very fond memories of um, playing around the coffee fields and uh, it's just getting lost in like having a blast of a childhood just being, being brought up like that. Yeah, so the, the coffee farm that you kind of grew up on and spent a lot of time at, was it belonged to your grandparents, right? It belonged so to my grandparents, yes. Whereabouts in Brazil is it then? Because there's kind of like a coffee belt, right, it, that, that kind of goes, well, I mean, right across the world. So where, whereabouts in, in Brazil was it? It's the southeast of Brazil. Um, it's in the state of Sao Paulo. Um, we're probably five hours away from the capital, from, capital, uh, from Sao Paulo itself. And... Uh, as, as a big farm, I think we had uh, 25,000 trees at, at one point, right. which pretty much translates to 80, to 80 tons of coffee a year. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot of coffee. So in, in terms of kind of managing that then, so I'm sure, you, did you have a bit of an insight into what it was like working on, on the farm or, or, or the, the life really? Because you know, 80 tonnes of coffee a year over this vast estate, I'm sure. Um, yeah, like, what was, what was your experience of that in terms of, like, to me, that sounds like just a huge operation, but I suppose it's like a way of life over there, right? Very much, yeah. I mean, um, I was a child, so it was just like, to me, it was just, uh, I never grasped the idea of how much coffee that was back then. And uh, now when I look back at those numbers and I talk to my to my aunts and my, my uncles, and like, they tell me like how busy it was and like how complex it was. Because coffee, uh, coffee is um, it's a product that needs a lot of care before it becomes uh, the ingredient that you use to, to roast. I mean, itself. it looks completely different, right? When you, it's, when um, you farm it, it's totally, completely totally different. It's a, think of a cherry, the, the cherries that you buy at the supermarket. You don't want the fruit, you don't want the pulp, you only want the seed. Yeah. And to get to the seed, there's a lot of, there's a lot of process, there's a lot of timing um, that has to be put into it. And to make sure the seed is perfectly dried and it's perfectly uh, consumable later on, it, it requires a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. And, and was there any kind of expectation, Washington, that you would um, kind of go into the, the family business that, that you would kind of follow in your, your grandparents' footsteps and be involved in the coffee industry. Of course you now are, but you know, you've, had a, you've been on a journey in your kind of career, you know, sort of outside of coffee as well. So yeah, did, obviously you had your first cup when you, were, when you were just two years old. So it's always been a kind of feature of your, of your life. But was there, any, was there ever a kind of expectation that you would go into the, the, the business as well? No, there's, there was never such a thing. Um, it, funny enough, uh, there was this period pretty much when I was probably 12 or 15, when my grandparents stopped, uh, they just retired and they okay. stopped doing coffee. And uh, myself then moving to New York when I was probably 25, yeah. it didn't really, coffee never triggered me. I was doing many other things but coffee. Yeah. and. Uh, I was like, it was, it, it, it's hard to put a finger on it and like figure out what made my uh, interest of coffee grow. But I think it was the coffee, uh, the coffee scene in New York itself, going to cafes mm -hmm. and like talking to people and how much they, they loved coffee and like 
and how much that could be a part of my life that came much later on when yeah. I was 25, 26. Yeah, so, so what was that like then moving to, moving to the States? Is, is that something a lot of people in, in Brazil and in other parts of kind of Latin America, they also are looking to the US and, and going and, and finding opportunities there. So was that a difficult thing to do at the time to leave Brazil and to go to the, the States or was it something you'd always wanted to do? Uh, to me, it was more like, uh, I want to try something different. I want to learn a different culture. I want to experience a different way of life. And uh, it was right before I, ha I had the chance to either go to university back in Brazil or move to the States. And I was like, you know, I can go to university later on, and which I did. Um, so when I moved to the States for the first time, I was 19. I went to Boston. I spent three years in Boston. Moved back to Brazil. and. Uh, Went to school, went back to school, went to university, and uh, I was like, "All right, I'm still not happy with this. Uh, I'm, I'm not ready to settle." You haven't that's, scratched the itch. No, not yet, not yet. Let's 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 go back there again, and that's when I decided to move to New York. Yeah, and obviously, you know, New York, kind of the the one of the most densely populated cities in the world, one of the the, the richest cities in the world, such a cultural melting pot. What was it like to kind of be there? You know, coming from. I presume you were in a rural part of Brazil, were you, when, in terms of, obviously, the, you'd need all the, the space, right, to do the, um, for, the, for the coffee farming and things like that. So was it a bit of a shock to the system, obviously, firstly going to Boston and then going to New York? So when I first moved to Boston, um, I, I, I was living in a big town already. So, okay. uh, but, but still, it was a big change. Yeah. I mean, um, it's like... Uh, you know, like it's like leaving Sunderland to go to a big metropolis. Yeah. So basically, that's what it is. And I was like, I was really immersed in the city. I I really enjoyed being in New York in the very few in the first few years. Um, I probably I probably went to MoMA every other week. Yeah. And um, that was a big uh, it was a big part of like getting involved in the culture of the city itself. Yeah. And so many fantastic so many museums you do. and galleries. Two thousand. 12, I probably saw 52 concerts. Yeah. I love, <laughs> every weekend. Every, pretty, pretty much every week. I love live music and uh, it's, it, you, you got to immerse yourself in this city. That's, that's one of the things that New York has to offer and you have to grab um, all the, all yeah. the things. We're the city that never sleeps, isn't it? Is it does not, it does not, but uh, it's, uh, at the same time, it's, uh, it's very time consuming. Like, it drains a lot of your energy, but in a very good way. Yeah. So, so how did you meet Erin then? So did you meet Erin in New York? Yeah, we met in New York and uh, it was pretty much when it was just the right timing. And we were like, we, we both been in New York for like 70 years at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a itch to do something else. And we just took um, eight months off. We travel around and uh, we end up in Brazil. Yeah. On a coffee farm again. Ah, right, okay. So that's Espirit, Espirito Santo? That's Espirito Santo. Um, it's a very interesting um, producing uh, region in Brazil. It's very small and it produces a lot of amazing coffee. Mm. And um, it's very distinguished from the main coffee producer in Brazil, which is Minas Gerais. Minas Gerais is the biggest coffee producer area in the world. Uh, just to give an idea of numbers, it produces 95 percent of the coffee consumed and um, exported from Brazil. It's, it's made there. Uh, it's Minas Gerais. So we decided to do something different. Then we went to Espirito Santo. Ah, okay. And, and so did you actually work on the coffee farm in Espirito Santo? So in Espirito Santo, I 
was very much on hands-on uh, working and uh, trying to be, trying to make this farm um, at a time being being exporter, a direct exporter. So I went to uh, work with Eduardo Tosi at the Sitio Floresta. It's now he's pretty much our main partner. Yeah. So at that time he wanted to expand. He was roasting coffee at the time and producing specialty coffee as well. So he was selling green beans and selling roasted coffee, but he wanted to export as well. And he had he had pretty much everything in line to do it. He was doing amazing quality uh, green beans, and but he couldn't find the right channels back then. Yeah. And that's why um, that's why he hired me, and then we. Ah, so we, this is the coffee we're drinking uh, today, is it? This is the coffee that we're drinking today. That's correct. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that was probably, I guess, the first time you really saw um, the, the, I guess, the global coffee business and the supply chain, and it's quite a, it's quite a complicated supply chain. It's it? very complicated, and um, so there's a lot of middlemen. There's a lot of uh, agents and. Uh, there's a lot of brokers there. A lot of times they, they have nothing, no, no hands-on in terms of what, what the coffee um, is itself. But um, the idea from the beginning when I was working at the farm was to make sure we cut a lot of those middlemen. And when we moved to Edinburgh, the idea was like, now we're roasting coffee, let's import direct as well. Yeah, yeah. Because of course, um, you know, the, between the coffee farmer producing the coffee and it getting to the, you know, us, us drinking it is this really long process. And often it's been the case in the past where the coffee farmer hasn't really, you know, f for the fact that they actually make, they produce the coffee, they don't see very much of the value. So, you know, I know that we've chatted about things like fair trade and, and and other kind of reinforced alliances is another one. And yeah, how, how are those schemes kind of flawed in a way, would you say, in, in terms of that, you know, they're not really fit for purpose for some coffee farmers and then they end up just back into the, the old fashioned middlemen process and things like that. So it's important to understand that the majority of the coffee produced in the world is produced by small uh, family holders, small farm holders. So very often they're like, no, no, no more than 30 hectares of land. And for farms, for, for, for properties that size to get accreditation by Rain, Rainforest Alliance um, or either like um, fair trade, it takes a lot of time and it's very costly as well. Um, some labels cost up to ten, twelve thousand dollars to get it accredited because you have to do a lot of changes in the, in the property itself you have to it takes time and um, and to be audited itself you pay I believe around four thousand dollars a year to be audited and this and is quite a lot of money right it's a lot of money to yeah. any property you think of a small farm um, here in UK yeah. um, they have to like a pocket like four thousand pounds every year to yeah. to get accredited so um, it's a it, it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big thing to ask to a to a farm, and very often um, they accredit in groups. So um, fair trade, for instance, they accredit like a, co a, a co-op of cooperative of, yeah. of, uh, a farmers union, for instance, and everyone in that union then will get accredited. 
and it's a more um, welcoming way. It's an easier way yeah. to get in. Yeah, it's a little bit more affordable that way. Totally, totally. Okay, okay. And, you know, seeing the way that the supply chain um, operates, was that the first time, and obviously working with this, this, this guy who you met in Espirito Santo, was that the first time that you thought, I want to go back to the UK and I want to set up my own coffee business and kind of disrupt that supply chain a little bit and work directly with the farmers? It, it, helped, it, it, it helped a lot to, to, get, to have the contacts in Brazil to, and to know the industry from inside out, no doubt. But I, it, it happened very organically. Um, it, was not, it was never a business idea until we moved to Edinburgh. We moved here on a personal um, um, level, and uh, we then put our heads together. What we're we gonna do now? Mm. Oh, we're gonna work with coffee. How are we gonna do this? Oh, we had those amazing contacts in Brazil. We know this. We know this amazing area that produces amazing coffee. Let's give it a try. Let's, and that's pretty much how it started. We started very. It grew very fast, but again, from, it started very organically, it started very small. Yeah, yeah. So I think that brings us on to, to talking kind of directly about San too then. So yeah, just I guess tell me about you know, setting up the business and obviously I guess the sort of unique selling point, if you like, of the business or what makes the business different is that you do work directly with the farmers in Brazil, right? So that the people who are drinking coffee at your cafe or, or, or buying it, they know exactly where that's coming from. Correct. Um, um, transparency is the main focus of our of our company. We been we've been working with the same farmers since the beginning. Um, so right now we have five farmers in our um, in our portfolio, and um, it's they're not just partners. They're just they're good friends. Like the main farmer that we work with, Eduardo Tosi, for instance. Like I've been to his wedding. Yeah. And. Uh, it, it's we we talk very much every day. It's more like a friendship kind of thing, and of course, there's always the business sides of it as well. But um, we're very fortunate to have this very close relationship with them, and that itself, when you translate into a language that's more appropriate to to business, it's it, it goes beyond being, being transparent. It's just the way things are. And that's been definitely the biggest selling point of our company. We are consistent. We work with the same farmers, the same kind of coffee every year. And um, people, clients, they feel, they feel very compelled to, uh, yeah. to work with us based on that. Yeah, so you've got, you've got Eduardo and then there's another sort of two or three uh, farmers, isn't there, who you work so with? So we have Eduardo well. Tosi, we have uh, Adelfo Casagrande, we have Giacchellini, um, Istiavo, and we have the Tosi, uh, Tosi, uh, a Tosi family, which is composed by um, some of the Eduardo cousins, and they put together the biggest lots that we that we work with. So right now we have five farmers, and uh, it's. They're all different coffees, although they come from the very, uh, the very same, the They're same all regions. Espirito Santo. They're all the same, uh, same area, pretty much. They're like within like a, with a 20 miles range, pretty much. But they're all different terroirs. And the idea that, that you can, know, that you can um, taste different coffees and like pretty much it's very tangible. Like they're very different. Yeah, absolutely. So even though they all 
you know, essentially it's the same climate, probably a lot of the same uh, processes and approaches to, to growing the coffee, but with a completely different flavor. Oh yeah, I mean, the, the, the terroir itself uh, changed a lot of the, of, the, of the flavor profile of the coffees, and uh, we tend to vary in terms of processing. There's a lot of different processing. Um, there's a lot of different ways to, to get to the dry cherry uh, bean itself. And uh, so we have natural coffee, we have uh, pulp naturals, we have honey processed and fermented coffee sometimes. So that itself gives a lot of different, um, um, prof different tastes in the coffee itself. Yeah, yeah. And is, 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 coffee, is the taste of coffee um, or, you know, it, 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 does that change on a kind of year by year basis as well very much in terms of, I mean, obviously the, 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 the climate change side of things where the temperatures are rising. Do you think that's having an impact on the way that the coffee kind of comes out and obviously the, 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 gro the growing process and everything like that, right? When they harvest and make all those kinds of decisions. Oh, oh certainly, certainly. Uh, coffee can be very often compared to the wine industry. And um, it definitely requires a lot of attention to make sure, you know, the weather, it's not impacting too much the harvest. So, but uh, basically every year you have a very tangible difference uh, in terms of uh, profiles. Yeah, depending on the, the, the seasonality. Very much. If, um, if the rain doesn't come in the right time, if it comes, if it's too much rain or too little rain or too much sun, if the drying process is affected by being too cold at a time, it's it's a number of uh, factors that definitely change the outcome of the yeah. of the taste of the final product. And then, in it, just, just moving on from that, I guess the roasting side of things. So, you know, how much of an impact does that have on the the the, the final product, if you like? Because I guess when it comes to you guys here, so does it get shipped over from Brazil to Edinburgh? Correct. Uh, so it's a container from the farm gate to our door here, to wow. do the workshop. There's simple, simple as that. It doesn't stop in any warehouse. It doesn't stay anywhere. It's just come straight here 30 days on, on, on the sea. Yeah. So the roasting process itself has a, a vast uh, impact of how the coffee is gonna taste at the end. Yeah. Uh, there's innumerable ways to roast. There's, there's always a, this magical need to get the best out of that specific coffee and roast, roasting itself, um, that's where you, you're gonna either succeed or fail in that. All oh, right, okay, yeah, it's so, okay. And, and, and so it goes into, uh, you've, got the you've got the machine over there, right? So it goes into there and the temperature's set at a, at a certain level for a certain period of time, and then it comes out. And that's, I guess, the, the, little, the little sort of dark brown beans that we're all accustomed to. So right from that kind of cherry sort of shape where, you know, we would never think of that as, as resembling coffee to the, obviously what we, what we think of. Correct, correct. So uh, basically uh, it's, it's a seed. It's a, it's a green, grayish seed that has a um, high content of water in it. And the roasting process, it's basically there to dry the seed. So eliminate, to get rid of the water and uh, and there's so many different um, chemical compounds reacting to the heat and to the speed of the machine, to the speed of the drum, and that's it's very uh, 
it's a science. It's a, it's based on numbers. It's based on uh, try and error. It's based on uh, trying to figure out what's the best way to get the best cup out of the green coffee itself. Yeah, and I, I think people are increasingly more interested in, in those kinds of factors, right? I mean, you know, we talk about these waves of, 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 of coffee and certainly in the UK, you know, speciality coffee is a, a relatively recent um, development. And I know that's something that you're aware of. It's a, it's, so would you say that, that the UK is quite a fast growing market for the, the kind of coffee that you guys are producing? So the UK is the biggest uh, growing market in the world. It grows at an average of 12% a year. Um, that's more than any other place in the world. It's, uh, it's very interesting what's happening here. People are changing a lot in terms of what they consume. I, I tend to relate the coffee industry with the wine industry, and I go back and forth between them very often. It's like um, what used to be the... I wasn't here, but I, I've heard a lot of these stories. It's like what used to be here um, 20 years ago. You either... You'd go to a supermarket to find either a, a rosé or a red wine or a white wine yeah. in either super, uh, any supermarket. Now you go to a corner shop and you have wine from Chile, you have wine from New Zealand, you have wine from South Africa, all the different kinds of wines that you can think of. And um, that's happening to the coffee industry now and it's changing a lot, it's growing a lot. So in the way that, you know, like you say, the Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Grigio, or any, you know, any Merlot, uh, Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon, anything like that, those different uh, grape varieties, could you see something similar happening with, um, with, with coffee in terms of, I mean, it's sort of, that sort of is happening, right? It is, it is. Keep in mind there's, very, there, there's variations in Sauvignon Blanc. There's good Sauvignon Blanc, there's yeah. bad Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Uh, same goes for coffee. Yeah. Um, there's so many different coffee producing regions in the world and all of them they produce amazing coffee. They have very interesting terroirs, they have very interesting profiles. Um, and uh, it's very interesting that people are now experimenting and like, oh, we now have the opportunity to try coffee from China. Five years ago, that was unheard of. Yeah. So coffee from um, Brazil is a very common thing. But at the same time, average quality coffee from Brazil is a common thing. Yeah. High-end, high-quality coffee from Brazil, it's yeah. something new as well for, yeah. for the whole Europe, European market. Yeah, and you mentioned China, which is not an area that, uh, or, a, or a country that, that drinks a lot of coffee, but you know, if, if they do st start to drink more and more coffee, I know you mentioned that the, perhaps the, the prices of coffee could, could rise as, as, as different parts of the world um, have the same thing happen to them that's happened in the UK where, you know, like you say, the industry's growing 12% year on year. If that starts to happen in these other countries, um, it could have quite a significant impact on the industry. No doubt. I mean, um, China's, it's a huge consuming country and uh, just based on the population itself, they're about to to really become the biggest coffee consumer in probably in a couple of decades. And when that happens, the coffee prices will definitely jump. Um, I say this uh, based on the fact that other commodities suffer the same way. Soy, for instance, was the same problem um, 10 years ago. Um, 
just 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 give an example. Brazil is the biggest producer of soybeans in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, now the majority of the soybeans being exported to China, and that drives the prices a lot, becomes much higher definitely. Yeah, in, in terms of other kind of, I guess, industry trends, do you think that the kind of issues around climate change and sustainability and uh, are sort of like equity as well in terms of, you know, that kind of fair trade approach or, 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 or you know, whichever way you want to put it, do you think that the coffee industry is moving more in that direction in terms of sustainability globally? Um, because obviously, as with any, any other industry, it has to move in this direction, right, and become more sort of aware and, and uh, sustainable, I guess. That's the hope. Um, so a lot of companies are pushing forward uh, to, to have a more transparent and a more you know, environmental friendly kind of way of producing things. And the coffee industry, especially the third wave and, and the specialty uh, interest, in, in coffee industry itself, they, they are pushing for that. They are aware that the changes have to be made. But um, we won't see major changes until like big, big corporations like Starbucks or Nestle, for instance, start pushing for those changes. And it's thanks to consumer um, um, pressure, pressure yeah. and consumer uh, willing to spend more money in products like that. Things are changing, and big companies as well are shifting to a, a more sustainable way. Definitely. Yeah, I imagine you know Starbucks is probably a buyer of more coffee than maybe most of the other uh, sort of companies in the world combined, right? I, I imagine the, the, the sort of the, the really big players in, in coffee have that kind of market, market moving purchasing power, right? So what kind of insofar as like independent um, businesses are going to be able to have an impact, like you say, we really do need those big players, right, to, to get on board. So. It's Starbucks um, itself is the biggest. Uh, it's the biggest. Uh, uh, how can I put this? I think they're they were the biggest uh, influencer in the second wave of coffee. That's Starbucks is it's really important to what's going on to the coffee industry right now. They they kind of show people that coffee is more like an experience itself and. That was pretty much the propeller of the, the third wave of coffee. And then we finally understood that coffee must be consumed in a way that really triggers uh, a more of an experience itself. So, and Starbucks, no doubt, is uh, it's the biggest uh, fast food company in the world when it comes to coffee. Yeah. So they they. They do uh, dictate a lot of what's going on in the industry. Yeah, it's really interesting what you say about them being a big driver of this kind of speciality revolution. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it does. It, coffee is, su- is such an important part of most people's day. You know, they say it's the second most consumed uh, liquid on uh, after wa- after go. water, there right? You so, you know, it, it 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 seems odd now looking back to think that people weren't really that interested in. Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just, whatever, I'll just have whatever type of coffee, you know. It, it seems strange looking back now because it's, you know, it's, it's part of your morning routine. It's what you do every day. It seems strange looking back that it wasn't, you know, people, people weren't more kind of thoughtful in terms of the coffee that they were drinking. Yeah, I mean, um, the, 
What happens after Starbucks is that the third wave came in and like they decided like let's let's understand what traceability is. Let's understand what a better cup of coffee is, and uh, combined what well, with Starbucks is to offer the experience itself. Just sit down, relax, wind down. Yeah. Had a good, and that itself um, has um, become a big impact on the third wave. Uh, in the coffee, specialty coffee itself. Yeah, okay, brilliant. So in terms of for you guys then with, with San too, so you've got the, the, the coffee bar, you've got this fantastic uh, building here right in the center of Edinburgh. So yeah, I guess, um, what, are your, what are your plans now moving forward then? Uh, obviously you, you, you're, you've got the family to, to consider now too, right? So is it very much just about kind of growing the reputation of the business in Edinburgh and, and, and sort of consolidating what you have? Or are you going to be like looking to go into more areas and things like that? What are, you, what are your kind of thoughts on the future at the minute? There's always a, a niche to grow. Uh, and of course, uh, we, we have the capability and, uh, of growing at a very fast pace right now. And, We've been trading for four years now. The majority of our business is wholesale. Mm. I want to say 95% of it. Oh, right, okay. So we supply to small cafes. We supply to five stars uh, hotels and to Michelin stars uh, restaurants. And altogether, we believe we have 45 wholesale clients. And uh, we haven't really had a chance to get out of Scotland yet. Just start knocking on people, other people's doors, yeah. and that's 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 the next uh, next phase. Yeah, other parts of the UK. Other parts of the UK, yes. Yeah. And maybe like Europe as well, a little bit with the wholesale side of things. No, not not so much Europe. Um, it's uh, it's a little more complicated when it comes to export at, at the moment. Particularly at the moment, right? It's yeah. uh, it's it's a little hassle to export coffee to uh, yeah. to other parts of Europe right now. Okay. Okay. So in terms of like little bits of advice then, so you've been doing this for, for four years with, with San too, and what would you say to um, somebody like yourself who's thinking about opening a cafe or they're thinking about um, you know, starting a kind of wholesale business similar, similar to yours? You know, what have you kind of learned along the way, I guess? Um, that, you know, and what would you, if you could go back, maybe what would you do differently or what do you think's worked really well? I, I, I think the main, uh, the main part of a successful business is trying, trying to understand um, your targets, trying to read the room. Um, and with the most amount of information that you can get about your, your, your potential public, it's, um, it's a lot of work in the beginning, no doubt, but it's very it's very rewarding um, to to get a product or a service to the to the final client with the understanding that you did a good job mm-hmm. and they reacting well to it. Uh, I don't think there's been major things that I wanted to do differently. Yeah. Um, in our case, the the main differential for us was the traceability fact. So for anyone who's trying to restart now um, to work with coffee, for instance, to open a coffee shop or 
or roaster or whatever it is in, in the coffee industry. It's to make sure we have something different to, to offer. Um, and, um, and, and, and you know how to, uh, to express that difference in itself. Yeah, because, you know, in, insofar as it's fantastic that there is so many more cafes and so much greater awareness about speciality coffee and things like that, that means there's a lot more competition as well, doesn't it? So doing those things to kind of stand out from the, from the crowd is quite important. It is important and competition, a healthy competition is always good. Um, I see competition as a, as a, as a way to, uh, to differentiate yourself. So if you're in a market that everyone does the same, it's a lot of the same, what can you do differently? Yeah, yeah, especially, yeah, especially in, in an industry like coffee where I guess the, 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 the basic effect of drinking a cup of coffee is the same broadly, isn't it? So. Right. And so you have to rely on experience. You have to rely on the, on the very intangible uh, thing there. Of course, having a good coffee, having a quality, um, a top shelf coffee is very important, no doubt of that. But uh, a lot of people are offering that. A lot of companies are offering that. So the service part um, and how you, how you uh, tell a story behind the product is very important. Yeah, and in, in terms of, I guess, what you know, gets you out of bed on the morning, other than, other than coffee, of course, but it, you know, when you're running a business, it's, it's, it's hugely demanding on, on your time and your energy, um, and you, know, you have setbacks along the way. I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you've had some setbacks, but what kind of gets you, gets you through that? And is it, is it that thinking of, well, you know, I'm doing something different here, I'm, I'm working collaboratively with these farmers in Brazil, um, you know, you, you can sort of um, sleep well at night knowing that you're kind of uh, doing what you're supposed to be doing. So uh, that could be said to anything that you do in life. Um, feeling good about something that you, that, you, that you do is just, it's very important. And uh, we, we do things the way we do here at Santo is, it's based on the, on the personal, uh, on personal um, things in life. So uh, I feel like uh, the way we run the company is the way we run our lives, I guess. It's simple as that. We, we like treat people right. We like being treated right. We try to uh, be as straightforward and transparent and honest um, as we can be, of course. In, uh, and that's very much it. Yeah, yeah. And finally, so what is your go-to coffee first thing in the morning what what is your routine what does it look like i'll press a button in the machine <laughs> which is a filter machine and um it's just like a drip kind of kind of thing in the it's what in america we call batch brew right yeah so in the big uh jug in the big jug that's that's what i like yeah and how many cups a day washington on two. average just two just you just two just that's two. pretty good yeah that's pretty good just you Oh, brilliant. Well, honestly, thanks so much for having us, Washington. It's been fantastic speaking oh, to a, you. It's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And uh, it's, always, uh, it's always good to have uh, interesting uh, ideas to share. And it's always good to, to have an audience there. And to look back, right, on, course, on what's been a pretty interesting journey that you've been it's, on. It's been a good ride. It's been really good. Yeah, hopefully just getting started as well. There you go. Perfect. Thanks, Washington. It's my pleasure.
So that was Washington Vieira there talking about the industry behind what is the world's most popular drink after water, apparently. Coffee, of course. So it was fascinating to hear about Washington's travels from Brazil to Boston to New York and then back to Brazil before obviously moving to Edinburgh with his wife Erin to start up Santu Coffee. I had a good chat with Washington before and after we recorded and something he didn't mention was that 95% of the business is actually wholesale customers and I think this really shows how much appetite there is out there for people to know where what they're buying is coming from. There is this growing demand to know where things are sourced from, how they're made, the processes involved and whether those processes are ethical and sustainable. And I can only see this trend growing in the years to come, which means Washington and businesses like his are really well placed. In terms of some key takeaways then, I think one of the implicit themes that ran right through this conversation was the importance of doing something you love. You know, it really came across speaking to Washington, his passion for the business, and that has a kind of infectious quality about it, which can be really compelling when you're speaking to potential customers and partners and things like that. It's that old adage of do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life that definitely came to mind with this one. And I think the second thing to highlight was what Washington said about making sure you have something different to offer. He was talking, of course, in the context of opening a cafe or a wholesale business, which are typically super competitive markets but I think it applies to all businesses really whatever they're selling you know you need to make sure you can offer your customers a different service a different experience and a different story about your product to really stand out in the market so I think that's a really important bit of advice as well so if you're feeling like you want to try some Santu coffee after listening to Washington the easiest thing to do is head over to their website that's santucoffee.com forward slash shop online and you can choose from four different types of beans, each of which is being grown by a different farmer in the Espirito Santo region of Brazil. So please do head over to the website and check that out. And finally, thanks so much for Washington for inviting us to his roastery. We had a great time. And once again, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>